For the last 22 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist, and I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is Share the Knowledge. One, two, one, two, it's your boy DJ TL. I'm the last Mohican, and welcome to a new episode of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. This is my QA show for DJs. I'm gonna talk about a couple of questions I've received, answer the questions, hopefully add some value to the DJ community, and I have a couple of topics that I just wanna talk about, also DJ related. If you wanna ask me a question for a future episode, I'm available everywhere on social. The handle is DJ TLM, or just send me an email, djtlmtv at djtlm.com. If you're watching one of the video clips from my Shared Knowledge podcast on DJTLM TV on YouTube, salute to you. And the first thing I want to talk about is the setup that I have right here. I have the Denon DJ X1800 and SE5000 right here. And that's here from a video session that I recorded this week. And that is for the new update, the Engine Prime update. Because you're now able to, if you're not familiar with Denon DJ's SE5000, that is their top of the line media player. The X1800 is their prime series mixer that goes along with that player. But it's not just a normal media player that plays files that you prepare in their engine prime software. It also allows you to insert your Serato files and folders. It will read those CRQ points, loops and stuff like that. It does the same thing for your record box files and folders. So if you have playlists made in record box, it will read those, analyze those, and see your cue points as well. And now with the newest update, Tractor has been added. So I think that's a great development, meaning that if you're a Tractor user and you've made all your music, prepared all your music in Tractor, you have all your cue points and loops and stuff there, you can insert a flash drive with your folders into the SE5000. It will read it, analyze it, and you'll see all your cue points there. Or you can just do it on a computer, use the Engine Prime software, and just it will have a little tab that says Tractor. Click on it, import your Tractor files, and then you can see all your cue points there as well. So pretty exciting. That's why I had the setup there, and I've actually just connected the microphone to the mixer, mix it to the computer. That's how I'm recording this episode. Uh, I'll do a behind-the-scenes video very soon just to show you how I record the podcast. I have a couple of different methods I use. So for anyone interested, I'll record that uh, for a future episode. One more thing, very uh, I'm very excited about this, and that is the fact that the podcast was available on a lot of platforms, iTunes, Anchor, I have it up on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, you name it. But the podcast has now also been added to Spotify. So I'm really happy with that one. So if you're using Spotify, you can find the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs with DJ TLM on Spotify as well. All the links to everything I mentioned, all the URLs, everything will be in the description box down below. And if you want to ask me questions for the future episode, you know where to reach me. DJ TLM, DJ TLM TV at DJTLM.com. Plug, plug, plug. Have to get that out there. Now, I want to get into the first question that I got off Instagram from the DMs. And this is from a DJ in Atlanta. I was just thinking that as a new club DJ... Coming up with four hours of music is difficult, even for the opening DJ. Is there any service that offers starter or template sets? This is a small market, but this could be a moneymaker. 
it's hard to think through a two to four hour set when you first start. Just a thought. If you do a video, cool, but creating an outline of a set is difficult for beginners. This service would help in the overall process. Well, my opinion when it comes to this is no. I mean, yes, you could make a business out of this because there are probably a lot of beginner DJs out there that if they would see a service like this, they might be tempted to use it. So for instance, if you're a new DJ and you're getting the opportunity to play a four hour set and you've never played for four hours, you might start to worry. And if you see that there's a service that offers you templates that will help you set up a set, maybe you're tempted to do that. But when it comes to that, I have a couple of questions. So first off, just imagine if someone would make templates like that. How are you gonna go about making a template for a million different events? Because let's be clear, there are all sorts of events that have different themes, that have different crowds, uh, different times of day, night, you name it. You cannot use one template for all of those parties. So you're going to need a lot of templates and they're going to need to be very specific. Now, I just have to state, I would be totally against this because I don't think it's a good thing. First off, if you're going to play at a party, you are never 100% sure of what you're going to get. I'm talking about the crowd, of course. So just imagine if you buy one of these templates and now you have an outline of what you're supposed to play during your four-hour set and it totally does not reflect what you have as an audience. So it doesn't correspond with your crowd. That's gonna mess you up bad. So to me personally, when I first started to play, uh, I don't know, I don't know how long my first sets were, but I remember playing at this local youth center and I was playing with two other DJs. I was the hip hop DJ, they had an R&B DJ, they had a dancehall DJ, and we would just switch every, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, something like that. So you would never play that long. A little bit later on, still in my beginning stages, I also played at a certain venue here in Amsterdam where I was doing like four, five, six hour sets. Now, that is definitely a lot more difficult than doing 30 minute bits. But I'm never in the habit of preparing my sets. And if you're gonna play a four, the six hour set, you would be out of your mind if you're gonna prepare that set. That's gonna take forever. So imagine if you prepare that entire set, that's gonna take a lot of time, that's gonna take a lot of thought. I'm pretty sure if you're not a well-known DJ and you have a crowd that's coming specifically for you, your music, your style, preparing a four to six hour set makes no sense because, um, like I said, you don't know what kind of people you're going to have. You don't know how they're going to react, react to the set you make, prepare. I think that's the wrong approach. If you're not familiar with playing longer sets, I think it is a good idea to have a couple of short five to ten minute sets prepared that you just have in your crates, if you're playing digitally or as playlists, however you prepare your music. Have those ready. Use those small sets. Don't make them too long because those sets are going to be in a certain vibe and 
you can't know what kind of vibes you can play longer or shorter. Just keep them short, but have short prepared sets that you can implement whenever you're lost. So you might be playing for an hour or two. Things are going okay. You're going to hit a dip at a certain point where you're either not reading the crowd right or you're just, uh, you don't have inspiration. It happens. Sometimes you can be playing and after a couple of hours, the crowd can lose energy, but you as a DJ can lose energy as well. And you might not um, just have no idea what song to play next. I've been in that situation where I was playing for a couple of hours. The vibe was good. And at a certain point, I just, I don't know. I did not know what to play next. I kind of lost inspiration for a minute. At that time, you could pull out one of these prepared mini mixes, even if it's only like five, six minutes. If it's like two, three, four tracks. You know that mix. You don't have to think about it. You're going to perform it well. And that's going to buy you some time to think of what to do next. Now, you're going to need a couple of sets that are... Um, that consists of different types of music and vibes because you're going to have to implement them at different times of the night. And for instance, if you just played an hour long of a certain style of music, you don't want that mini mix to be that same style again, probably. You want to switch it up maybe. Look, the thing is, working with a template or having another DJ tell you what to play for your four-hour set to me, it just does not make sense. Now, I like playing freestyle. I'll say that all the time. So I'm really in the habit of just bringing my music, knowing what type of music I have, and then reading that crowd. I did a gig yesterday, and at that gig, I had multiple people come up to me and just tell me like, yo, man, a couple of DJs that played today, they just really just lost that crowd all the time because they were just doing what they were doing and they were not really paying attention. I can see you're doing exactly what the crowd needs. And I'll tell them, that's what I'm doing. That's, that's the whole reason why I play freestyle. I'll test, I'll see what works. And when I see what works, I know what direction to take it. And then I'll take it there. And if I see that I can maintain that energy or get it up, I'll keep it there. If I see that I'm kind of losing that energy after a while, I'll switch it up and it might take you the first 10, 20 minutes to figure out what the crowd is about. It should take you no longer than that. You can find out in the first couple of songs, all right, they like this style, they like that style. Are they really commercially orientated? So do they only like the popular tracks or can I take this crowd a little bit deeper? Uh, I have to add, I was playing at a festival and this was a theme-specific stage. So this was not like open format, anything goes. This was a stage where the theme was 90s R&B, 90s hip-hop R&B, and a little bit of the early 2000s. So that is what we're supposed to play. Now, it could happen that you have a crowd in there that is all about that 90s hip-hop and R&B, if that's the case, then I can probably take them a little bit deeper than if it's more of a, a superficial crowd. They know the 90s stuff, but they only know the hits. You're going to find that out in your first like 10 minutes. Just play a song that's not like a major hit, but still a banger. If you see that you're getting a cool reaction or not that much, then you know, okay, 
these aren't like the really fanatic 90s hip hop R&B people. They know the hits. Then I know that I'm going to have to keep it a little bit more superficial and stick more to the known tracks. Now, within that realm, I'll find my way to play a lot of different things, but I just read that crowd. And I could even read that crowd by seeing what the DJ before me was doing and seeing how they reacted to that. That helps me out a lot. That is why I prefer to play freestyle. And if I'm going to play a four-hour set, no way in hell am I going to prepare that. Now, if you have so much information for me that you can tell me exactly what type of people are attending, what they like, you can actually point it out. Look, we're going to have a crowd in here of 900 people. They're all between the ages of 28 and 38. They really like 90s hip-hop and R&B. They like the commercial stuff, but you can take them deeper. You can go all out into New Jack Swing and take them wherever you want to take them within that realm, and they'll love it. If you give me that information, then I could think about what kind of crazy stuff could I do during my four-hour set. I would still not prepare that entire set, but if I have information like that, guaranteed, then I can at least add a couple of things like, all right, within that set at a certain point, I'm going to do a little Michael Jackson routine. I know that's not 90s, but from that, I have a transition point where I can take him to this or that. I can think of ideas and really lay that out. And I know I'm going to start with this, warm him up, take him there. Because if you're playing a four to six hour set, that's not four hours of prime time banging. That's going to be at least partially a warm up set leading into the prime time, or it's going to be entirely warm up and just building the energy up a little more for the headliner. Whatever the case may be, uh, I would have ideas, maybe a little outline, but in 95, 99% of the uh, uh, scenarios, I would not prepare that four hour set. So long story, so I can't say long story short, but just to sum it up, if you're a beginner DJ, and you've never played four hours before. So you've only done a couple of gigs. You play for an hour, maybe hour and a half. And up until this point, you actually prepared your sets. Then you already know that it takes a lot of work to prepare that hour to hour and a half set. Don't, don't prepare a four-hour set. If you want to be partially prepared, I would say maybe prepare a couple of mini mixes. And if you know what type of people you'll have there... You could even go as far as to have maybe three 30-minute sets that you can implement during that night. But don't go for that entire set. Now, you can outline as far as saying, I'll use the first hour or two more for my warm-up, and I'll leave the more hype stuff for a little bit later. You can do that, but be ready to anticipate when you see how a crowd is reacting. If you're the warm-up DJ and you decide that you're going to warm up for the first hour, but after an hour, you can tell that the venue is still partially empty or almost empty, meaning the people are coming in later, then it makes no sense to say after that first hour, okay, my outline says warm up for an hour and now I have to start building up that energy. That doesn't really make sense. You can wait a little bit longer stay in that warm-up zone because the people haven't come in yet. If within that first hour, the entire place is packed, 
you can take it up a notch a little bit earlier. But don't go too fast either because you still have to fill the four hours. And one thing's for sure, you cannot hit a crowd with bangers for four hours long. That does not work. So I hope this kind of answers your question. And again, yeah, you could probably fool a lot of beginner DJs if you offer a service where you're going to give them an outline of this is what you need to play during a four-hour set. I don't believe in it. And I would not advise beginner DJs to go and purchase something like that. Just try. Go for it and try. I did. It's an experience. You do your first six-hour solo set, you're going to learn a lot from that. You're going to learn that you can't play bangers for six hours. You're going to learn that you're going to feel a certain dip at certain points, but the crowd will too because they don't have energy to rock nonstop. So it is okay to bring them up and then to take them down a bit again. They need that break as well. Even if that break means that they're going to the bar to get a drink, you might lose some of your crowd. But first off, the venue's going to be happy. They want people to also come to that bar and get drinks. But it gives you the chance to just start over and build it up again and hit them again. Stuff like that is stuff you learn during those sets. And it would make no sense for me to prepare that entire set. Um, that just takes way too long. That's all I have to say about this. I think there's plenty more to say. What I would like to ask you is, do you prepare sets that are like longer than two hours? Have you ever prepared an entire four, five, or six hour set? Let us know in the comment section down below. I'm quite interested to hear. I can't imagine going through that prep work for one gig. That's me. Let me know in the comment section. Just a quick update, and that is about the Saturday Super Session, and I'll be announcing the next edition this month. That's going to be probably the end of July that I'll announce that, and I'm going to give you guys a couple of weeks at that time. If you're not familiar with the Saturday Super Session, it is my global scratch collaboration series, and what I do is I'm going to make a new track, a new beat. I'm going to give you the beat, and I'm going to ask you to record yourself scratching over that beat. Now, you can record yourself on video. You don't have to be in the video. It could be just your hands or just you do it how you want to do it. But record yourself scratching over that track. There's going to be rules and guidelines, how long, uh, quality, all of that. You'll read that once I make the announcement. But I'm going to pick uh, some of the submissions. And when I say some, a lot of times it will turn out to be like 50 DJs from all over the world. And I'll edit that into one single video. If you want to see the previous editions, I've done, I lost count, six or seven. <laughs> you can find them on my YouTube channel, DJ TLM TV. And uh, like I said, DJs from all over the world. I've had one with 30 DJs, 50 DJs from like 35 countries, uh, rocking on controllers, turntables, CDJs, portableists were in there. Anything goes. Uh, ladies, I want you to join in on the next one as well. I've had a couple of female DJs in some of the sessions, but definitely not enough. On IG, I can tell that there's a lot more out there. Um, so I'll be announcing that very soon because I've been receiving a lot of questions. And yes, I was about to announce one last month and I had to postpone that for a minute. But it is definitely coming. So prepare. Also, while we're on the announcement tip, I did a giveaway for Algorithms DJ2 app for iOS. I did that a while ago on the podcast, uh, made a video clip for YouTube, and it did not work. 
I received a lot of comments and that's what you had to do. You had to leave a comment and I sent the 10 winners, the 10 people that I picked, I sent them a message on YouTube, never got a reply. Now I've talked about this after that two times and reached out like, if you have YouTube, if you left a comment, please check your inbox on YouTube to see if I sent you a comment and let me know, I need your info. No replies. So I'm going to do that all over again right now. And this time it is going to be on Twitter. So if you're not following me on Twitter, that's DJ TLM, just like it is everywhere. I'll be dropping that uh, today, Monday on the day of the podcast. Uh, so you're going to leave a reply there. I'm going to pick 10 people on Twitter. I know that I can send you guys a message and that it's going to work out because uh, the YouTube thing did not work. I'm going to talk to some of the creators on YouTube to see how they do that because I see a lot of people uh, do giveaway contests where they just tell people to subscribe and leave a comment and pick winners. I don't know how they send those people messages, but YouTube also let me know that they're actually going to totally skip the whole messaging part on YouTube because people are not using it. And now I found out firsthand that that is a fact you are not using it. So today on Twitter, check the tweet. If you want to win algorithms, DJ Two DJ app for iOS, check the tweet and uh, you'll hear what you have to do. So this is a question that I definitely have some experience with, and this is about booking agencies. And this question also came in the DMs on IG. The question is, what are your thoughts on booking agencies and do you use one? Doing everything you said in the video, but no gigs. It's almost like you have to be a celebrity, then become a DJ. So yeah, that is funny. It's partially true. You don't have to become a celebrity, but it's just a fact. In 2018, you have to work on your personal brand and that's going to help you to get gigs. Just working on your skills and just letting people hear those skills. Unfortunately, it's just not enough. That was back in the days. If you were a good DJ and people would hear you, that would be it you would get gigs. Now, of course, networking definitely helped even back then. It would probably get you a lot more gigs and that's all changed. Now, when it comes to booking agencies, in my experience, and I've also talked to a lot of other DJs and artists, booking agencies, for the most part, are just there to offer you a service. They will handle your business when it comes to bookings. Meaning that their address, that could be like a phone number, email, anything, is going to be attached to your profiles. And when people want to book you, they have to contact the booking agency. But that is as far as a lot of those booking agencies will take it. So if you're not getting gigs now, so people are not approaching you to book you, they're not going to approach the booking agency to book you because they're not booking you. So a booking agency is not going to help. The thing is, most, I'm not saying all, I haven't worked with all, but for most booking agencies, they're not actively looking for gigs for you. Um, they just take the call. That's just the thing. I've, I've worked with three booking agents, and every time it was the same story. I ended up coming up with more than half of the gigs myself, because I already had a network, I had contacts, and even people I didn't know 
found my number through other people, so they would contact me. Now, since I was dealing with my booking agent, I would send them to the booking agency, and then the booking agency takes 15% for basically doing what I could have been doing myself. Because that's the thing. That's how the booking agencies make their money. They will handle that business for you, and they will get their fee, and mostly that will be around 15%. So imagine if I'm bringing you gigs, I'm getting those gigs, I'm bringing them to the booking agent for a simple phone call, maybe sending a writer, and that's it. And then I have to give them 15% of my booking fee. It didn't make sense. Now, if you're a DJ and you're getting like 20 booking requests a day, things are going great. You're playing seven days a week or you're playing at least seven gigs a week, whatever it is, but you're getting all these calls, emails from people. You're getting tired of handling people, dealing with people, having to discuss prices and stuff like that. Then a booking agent is great. They're going to handle that for you. So if you're in demand, a booking agency makes a lot of sense. If you're not in demand, a booking agency is not going to do a lot for you. That's just the thing. Now, it is a fact that if you're part of a booking agency's roster, and let's say they're getting approached by people, by uh, promoters or whatever, because they want to book one of the hot DJs that that booking agency has on their roster. If that DJ is not available for that gig, maybe at that point, they can then try to get you in there because you're also on their roster. And then they can tell them like, look, that DJ is not available that day, but we do have this DJ. He's great, plays this and that. And maybe they can then sell you. So in that case, uh, it could work. But let's be honest. A booking agency is not going to add you to their roster if you're not bringing in any gigs. It's not like it's a service that anyone can just apply and any DJ can just go to a booking agency and just uh, be part of that agency. That's not how it works. They have a roster. They already have a lot of DJs. They don't need 50 DJs or 80 DJs on that roster if half of those DJs are hardly getting gigs because... That's just not how it works. That's not going to make them money. So you're going to have to at least be a DJ that's getting gigs to be part of a booking agency. But if you're not being booked now, people are not calling to book you. There's not booking agencies out there that are really going to help you out. Now, what you could try to do maybe is look for maybe a student Someone who's interested in getting into that part of the music business, someone who's studying and who's going to be working at a booking agency, or at least that's what they want to do, or maybe they want to start a booking agency, uh, but they're now in the learning process. Maybe you could find someone like that who you could approach and just tell them like, hey, I know this is what you're trying to do. I'm trying to get gigs. Maybe you can use me to try and work on selling DJs so they can go out and actively approach clubs, promoters, and try to sell you. Most booking agencies won't do that, but maybe a hungry young person would because that is what you're looking for right now. You want to get gigs, so you need someone to go out there and get those gigs for you if you're not doing that yourself. So just real quick, I just scroll back and I see that we already actually had a conversation and uh, I'm going to take it back a bit. And 
you're talking about that you are a hip hop DJ. You live in a rural area, and you have only a few clubs there, and it's very political. So you have to do more than just know the owners. You practically have to be in bed with them. So that is going to add to your issues. I mean, if that is your situation over there, a booking agency is not going to help you out, but you're probably going to really have to expand beyond your own local area. Or, and I tell this all the time, you're going to have to try and start something for yourself. So if you know that there is a crowd, there is an audience for the type of music that you play, then maybe you can organize something yourself. And that doesn't have to be in one of those clubs, maybe a smaller place, a pub, or just maybe there's a convention center that has like smaller rooms as well, something. You have to figure that out, but start somewhere small and just do small parties first. I don't know. I, I can't really sense if you're like a total beginner or you're just having a hard time finding gigs now. But look, man, if you can start out and have parties where you have 50 people, 50 people who are really liking what you're doing and you can play for those people like i said maybe it's in a bar where they have just a limited space but you have 50 people in there they're getting drinks they're dancing to what you're doing and even if you do that to start out with and those people might want to bring someone next time and within a couple of times maybe it's obvious that you need a bigger place than that bar uh i would not do that straight away keep it small first get that buzz going but you can shoot footage every time. Word might get around that, hey, this is working out. At a certain point, you can maybe approach one of those promoters from the clubs and let them know, like, hey, we've been doing this for I don't know how many months, selling it out every time. I know we can get at least 100 or 150 in there. Maybe that venue has one room that can pack like 100 or 150. Do it there next time. I'm not saying that works, but that is an opportunity. It's an option. So if there's not other gigs out there, and you want gigs, you have to maybe create that opportunity for yourself. I was just going through the YouTube comments, and one question that caught my eye is about transitions, mixing transitions. And the question is, as a general rule of thumb, where should a transition begin in the song structure? Before or after the hook or something else? All right, there's no set rule. But there are definitely guidelines and things that will work best. Now, if you're talking about structure of songs, and that's a good thing that you're talking about that because that plays a major part in your decision of when you're going to make your transition. Knowing your music is equally important because that's going to help you remember the structure of the songs or let you know like, hey, at a certain point, the artist is going to say this or make a certain noise and I can loop that, do something funny with that for a transition, whatever. Knowing your music, knowing the structure, those are very important. Now, for me, generally, when I'm mixing, and I mix a lot of hip-hop and R&B, so we're talking about music with uh, intro, vocals, uh, you have like the verse, you have the chorus, then another verse, maybe some beats at the end, but that is the general structure. And on most occasions, I will take a track, and when that track is playing, you have the intro or hook, then a verse, then a hook, then a verse, and if I'm playing a little bit longer, I'll let it play for two verses. And then when it's time for that new hook, on the one count where the hook begins, that is where I start my transition. If the next track that I'm going to mix in has an intro that is of the same length as the hook. So a lot of times you'll have 16 bar verses 
and eight bar hooks. Not always, but with a lot of music, you uh, or hip hop and R&B, you have that. If I know I have an eight bar chorus, an eight bar hook, and my intro of the next track is also eight bars, the perfect point for me to do a transition is when that chorus begins. On that one, that is where I bring in the intro because that means that when that transition is done, after the eight bar chorus is done and the eight bar intro is done, my switch is done, and right where the next verse would begin, now you'll have the verse of the other track. So the beginning of a chorus is a great place to make a transition. Now, that's not the only thing I do. I have a lot of different ways to do it. If I'm playing a track and I know that that track had that nice intro that I liked, sometimes I'll wait till the verse is done, but instead of playing the chorus, I might trigger a cue point and take it all the way back to the beginning of the track, or hit a cue point that takes me to a later part in the track where there's a break, but I'll take a cue and cue it to a point of the track that has nice sound that I like. When I cue it at that same point, I'm bringing in that new track. So for instance, if I hit a cue point that takes it back to the beginning of that track, that intro is also eight bars in this case. At that same time, I've started my new track, so now I'm doing a transition but I'm using a different part of the song for that transition. But I'm still taking that one count where the actual chorus would begin. So I'm playing my verse and at the end of a verse. Um, this might sound logical to a lot of you, and if you're not really into counting and structure yet, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But what I do notice, and I noticed this at my last gig as well, I was playing with a DJ, and that DJ could clearly beat match, so he could match the tempo of the tracks easily, it's not that hard, and he definitely knew how to do that. But with at least 75% of his transitions, the count was wrong. So he would start his transition not at a right point in the track if we're just looking at the structure and we're looking at phrases. So a lot of times, let's say you have an eight-bar phrase, he would start his transition not after those eight bars where a new phrase begins, but after four bars or sometimes even after six bars, then you're going to get transitions that don't make sense because then you're going to have to cut off the first track when a verse is still playing or when a hook is not done or the hook is done and you get a little part of the new verse before you have the actual switch to the next track. You, if you pay attention, you can hear that that does not sound right. So you have your general rule of thumb if you just follow the structure. Uh, but you should also be able to hear that. But I do notice some DJs don't really hear that. They just feel as long as they're beat matching correctly, then that means that their mix is good as well. And that's definitely not the case. You have to pay attention to the structure because that's going to allow you to make a transition that makes sense. You want to make sure that your phrase mixing the right way. Uh, I hope that makes sense. I hope that helps you out. So if you're talking about before or after the hook, your transition could very well be during that hook. That's a great part. People can still sing along to that hook. In the meantime, you're bringing that new beat in or even you have that new beat playing at full volume, you just take all the bass out of the other track so you can still hear the chorus. That's mostly mid and high anyway. So they can still hear the vocals, but they're already hearing the new beat. And when that chorus is done, that's where the verse of the new track begins. Again, I hope that makes sense. Uh, if not, I'll have to do another video about this subject.
That's where I'm going to end episode 57 of Share the Knowledge, my podcast for DJs. I hope I answered your questions uh, and I hope this helps you out. Now, also, if you're checking out any of the podcasts or any of my videos on DJ TLM TV and you see questions in the comment section and you have the answer, feel free to jump in. That's what this is all about, sharing the knowledge. I'm just another DJ. I have my 25 years of experience, but there's plenty of stuff I don't know. Maybe you do. I'm still learning from you as well. So make sure that you help each other out. Uh, that way we can all become better DJs. Now, if you like what you heard here, make sure you tune in again next week. Make sure you check out all the podcast episodes on iTunes, Anchor, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify, Spotify. I'll leave links to everything in the description box down below. Check out the Share the Knowledge Facebook group. I'll leave a link to that. And for all the information about the podcast, you can check out sharethenowledgepodcast.com. All my info is on djtlm.com. I'm just shooting those URLs at you 100 miles a minute. Um, uh, all the info in the description box once again. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back uh, next week. And you can check out some new videos in the meantime on DJTLM TV on YouTube. Peace.